Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this time we're talking about Alexander Borodin's Prince Igor, Eric, which debuted in St. Petersburg in 1890, three years after Borodin actually died. And the opera was left unfinished at his death. Indeed. And it's, it's one of those cases where you know how you have those projects and you just work on it and you work on it and you get you know, distracted with something else and you work on it some more. Well, that was kind of like poor Dean with this opera. He was working on it forever, apparently. And all of his friends, you know, his composer friends would write about it. And you know, he was also a scientist. So he'd be doing his little science experiments over here and he'd go and do a little more Prince Igor. And he'd go back to the science and do a little more Prince Igor. And he, you know, carried that on for so long, he up and died before he could finish it. Well, he died suddenly and he died young. I think yeah. he was about 57 or something when he died. Yeah, that's very, very young. That's extremely young. <laughs> <laughs> and as you said, he was, I mean, professionally, he was he was a chemist uh-huh. and was a research scientist. Right. And so that's what he had to spend his life doing. And the sort of the composing was an avocation. Yeah. What an avocation. <laughs> he belonged to that group called the Mighty Handful, that group of, I think, five Russian composers. There was César Kui, Modest Mussorgsky. Uh, Glazunov, I think. Yes, uh-huh. Alexander Glazunov, Rimsky-Korsakov, and, and Borodin. Borodin. Mm-hmm. And they sought to infuse Russian elements into classical or art music to take it away from the sort of the European tradition and to give it a Russian identity. And to varying degrees succeeded brilliantly. Borodin certainly succeeded with this piece. Absolutely. The fortunate thing about Borodin's association with these other Russian composers was that Glazunov and Rimsky-Korsakov took up the cause of Prince Igor when Borodin died, and they basically completed it. Yeah, not unlike uh, Offenbach with the Tales of Hoffman and Puccini with Turandot. That's, that's happened often you know, throughout the history of opera when uh, a masterpiece had to be finished and some great composer would uh, take up the varying strands and, and, and finish the piece for them. And, uh, and this is also like the Tales of Hoffman, though. It has to be pointed out, <laughs> lest someone listen to this and think, but wait a minute, I just saw it, and Act 1 was Act 2, and Act 2 was Act 1, and there was all different, you know. Well, that happens sometimes, just as it does with the Tales of Hoffman. People, because he left it unfinished, people feel... Poetic license, yeah, operatic license. operatic license to kind of shuffle things around a bit if it, to see if they can make it make more dramatic, cohesive sense. Because but. basically, Borodin and Offenbach... Because they didn't complete it, they never had the opportunity to go back and make those final revisions and edit and, and refine, etc. And put their stamp on a final version of it as well, you know, and say, you know, this is it. Or, you know, you can also do this performing version as, as Verdi often did. There would be, you know, for instance, uh, Don Carlo premiered in French, uh, but then he did another version of it in Italian translation and, and both were acceptable to him. And obviously Bordin didn't have the chance to, to do that. Prince Igor is based on a Russian epic tale of Prince Igor, who lived in the 12th century. The libretto is by Borodin himself, based on that epic tale. Mm -hmm. We open with a prologue. We are in the marketplace of Putivl, Prince Igor's power base. That's Mm -hmm. his city. And we, we find through the opening scenes that he is very much a beloved ruler. Very much beloved by his people who sing his praises at every opportunity. 
And we find, though, that he he is about to leave Putibol uh, with his son and an army. His son, Vladimir. His son, Vladimir. Uh, they're out to uh, chase down, basically, a tribe of nomadic uh, conquerors, the Polovtsi, uh, a Tartar tribe, uh, headed by one Khan Konchak. And this is apparently something that Igor's father had begun, uh, a quest, for lack of a better word, that Igor has now taken up, and he is uh, marching out under his standard to go chase down the Polovtsi and... Uh, because it's the it's the usual battle between different tribes, etc. Yeah, it's, it's just what it's, you do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what are we going to do today? Let's go and chase Let's some go Tartars. Chase the Tartars. <laughs> As they're preparing to leave, though, there is a solar eclipse. Yes. Which is taken as a bad omen. Right. And they the people try to hold them back. But he's not having it. But he's not having it. And he and Vladimir, off they go to uh, seek out the uh, Polovtsi. Yes. Act one, Igor has gone off to fight. He leaves his brother-in-law, Prince Galitsky, yeah. in charge. Yeah, not a good idea. Not a good idea. <laughs> Galitsky, the guy's a playboy. Right. <laughs> he's, just, he's just a reprobate. He's just out there to chase girls and... Drink a lot and uh, party down. <laughs> he is the brother of Yaroslavna, who is Prince Igor's wife. Right. His second wife, and therefore the stepmother of Vladimir. Vladimir. Some young girls come to see Galitsky, and they have a complaint that some of Galitsky's men have kidnapped one of the girls and are holding her hostage for their pleasure, presumably. Right. And they want her returned. To which Galitsky replies, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to do about right, it? Right, exactly. <laughs> then we have these two interesting characters, Skula and Eroshka, mm -hmm. who are their gudok players, which is a stringed instrument, mm -hmm. sort of guitar-like, lute-like. And they're also deserters from Igor's army, not, uh, not to put too fine a point on it. So and they are thoroughly bad. Yeah, they are. Because what they are doing is they are trying to stir up the people against Igor and get them to put Galitsky, Prince Galitsky, in Igor's place. Exactly. They are carrying favor with Galitsky. Right. So then we, we change scenes to Yaroslavna's room. Uh, that's, that's Igor's wife and Galitsky's sister. And uh, the same group of girls that were that were petitioning Galitsky to give back the abducted girl back to them have come to Yaroslavna to ask her to intercede for them. And Yaroslavna does. And she prevails. She tells, Galitsky, <laughs> she tells him, give her back. <laughs> Do it. And he says, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> then at the end of Act One, the news arrives that Igor has been defeated and he and Vladimir have been taken prisoner. Yeah. And there is the threat now of attack by the Polovtsi on Putivol. End of Act One. Yeah. High doesn't drama. Se doesn't seem like such a good idea to go out <laughs> chasing <laughs> Tartars now, does it? Right. <laughs> Act Two, we are in 
the Palazzi camp. Yes, where Igor and his son have been taken prisoner. We put quotations around the word prisoner. We meet Khan Konchak, who is the leader of the Palazzi. And he tells Igor, don't think of yourself as a prisoner here in this camp. We are treating you like a VIP. You are an honored guest and you can have anything that you'd like, except your freedom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which Igor says, well, that's really the only thing I want. (laughs) What complicates matters is that Vladimir has fallen in love with Konchakovna, who is the daughter of Khan Konchak. And she with him. Right. Yeah. So we have that little complication there. Indeed. And that's going to become very important. And she says to Vladimir, you know what? My dad would let us get married. And he he says, says, well, mine wouldn't. Mine has a really, really, really big problem with me marrying the daughter of his enemy. (laughs) Igor is racked with guilt because he's being held prisoner and he knows that he should be defending his people, defending their honor, but he can't do anything because he's being held prisoner. Well, and he knows he's screwed up. I mean, he just, you know, he should never have left Putibol to begin with. He's racked with guilt for a lot of reasons, but that among them, certainly. Then there is this curious character, Ovlor, who is a Palazzi traitor. Yeah. And he offers to help Igor escape. And what does Igor say? I can't because it's not honorable. (laughs) And I don't understand that sort of sense of honor and dishonor. I mean, is it because he was caught fairly and squarely, and so he has to sort of take his punishment? There's this sort of grudging respect between him and Khan Konchak, two leaders who respect one another, and he seems to not want to be seen to be dishonorable in Khan Konchak's eyes. And it's, it's odd. And by the end of the act, he'll kind of, you know, come to the conclusion, well, <laughs> honor, duty, <Yeah. laughs> screw honor. <laughs> i got to do my duty. Contract <laughs> offers him luxuries. You know, would you like a bigger tent? Would you like um, some horses, some hawks? And Igor says, well, the only thing that I want is my liberty. And Contract says to him, I would give you your liberty if we then could unite and become a a sort of a joint force. Right. We'd be unstoppable. And Igor, Boy Scout that he is, (laughs) says in response that the first thing I would do if you gave me my freedom would be to raise another army and attack you again. Right. (laughs) And oddly enough, here comes this mutual grudging admiration thing again. Khan Konchak respects that. He respects his spirit and he respects his honesty. So they're locked into these roles that they have to fulfill uh, as, as enemies, and yet they seem to really like one another and respect one another. The act ends with the famous Polovtsian dances, which is put on as an entertainment. Yeah. And this is where Borodin really introduces those sort of folk 
Russian elements into the music that the mighty handful were looking for. Mm-hmm. One of the places, certainly. There, there's also a, a huge chorus at the beginning and end of the opera in Putivil, where the people are, are lauding Igor, that's uh, very infused with Russian nationalistic character. Uh, but you're absolutely right. This is, this is where he just pulls out all the stops and goes for broke. And, you know, they're very, very famous. If, even if you've never heard them done uh, by a symphony orchestra or by an opera company, you've probably heard them in the Broadway musical Kismet, which... Stranger in Paradise. Stranger in Paradise. I mean, everything, half the score mm-hmm. from Kismet is taken from the Polovtsian dances. And what many people don't know is that they're actually sung. Absolutely. <laughs> there is an orchestral version, but... It's a choral piece. It, it is it's a, a choral huge piece. choral piece. So the Polovtsian dances round out Act 2. Right. Act 3, we are again in the Polovtsi camp, and there's the arrival of Khan Zak, who has defeated another group of Russians, taken a bunch of prisoners, has brought them to the Polovtsi camp, and Konchak is impressed. Yeah. He likes what Zak and his men have done. Yeah. Or that rape and pillage... Go for it, guys. He's for it. (laughs) Because we see these two sides to Konchak. On the one hand, he has this sort of rude, bellicose, barbarian side to him. But on the other hand, he also has that sense of of reason and respect that he shows to Igor. He's a a complicated character. Uh But his people love him in the same way that... People. Igor's people love him. And Igor is not uncomplicated himself. He's right. got all these warring things going on in his head as well. With the arrival of Zak and this new batch of prisoners, etc., Igor begins to rethink that whole idea of honor. And, oh, I have to stay here in the camp as a prisoner because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> because the rest of his prisoners tell him Shouldn't we be doing something? Yeah. Isn't it your duty to do something, to escape, to do, you know, whatever, get us out of here, but do something? And it's at this point that Ovlur, the, the Polovtsian traitor, comes back and offers another chance. I'll help you escape uh, because all the Polovtsi guards have been making merry, celebrating, you know, the arrival of Khan Gazak and, and this big victory that they've, you know, brought news of. So they're... They're just, they're toasted. They're, <laughs> they're completely blotto. So, and so Avlo is going to provide horses for Igor and Vladimir so they can escape. But complication. Con- complication. <laughs> Konchakovna hears of the plot to get Igor and Vladimir out of the camp. Yeah. And she says, but what about me? What about the love that Vladimir and I have? have mm-hmm. and, and Vladimir says, what about it <laughs> <laughs> so on the one hand you have Igor wanting to leave yeah Vladimir wanting to stay yeah but wanting to do his duty for his father so he's very conflicted and Konchakovna pulling him in this direction Igor pulling him in this direction Finally, Konchakovna decides to just take matters into her own hands, and she rouses the camp and, and rings the alarm. Sounds the alarm so that Vladimir and Igor won't be able to leave. Right. 
However, Igor does manage to escape with Ovlo. Yeah. Vladimir does not. He's left behind and he's retaken. Konchak appears because of the, the alarm that has been sounded, etc. And he actually shows a great deal of magnanimity. Yeah. He allows Vladimir to live and to marry his daughter. Because, uh, here we go again, he respects Igor because he says, that's exactly what I would have done if I were in his position. <laughs> Do you think so, Borodin wants the audience to respect Igor? Yes. <laughs> but at the same time, you kind of like and respect Konchak as well. You know, there it's an odd piece in a lot of ways, but primarily because there really isn't there's not really a villain. There's not a there's not even an antagonist real. I guess I guess Konchak really is the antagonist, yeah, but he's certainly not a villain at all. Act 4. We are back in Putivil, which has gone to the dogs mm. because Igor is not there Prince Galitsky is not interested in being any sort of real ruler right and Yaroslavna is lamenting all that has happened her lost happiness and how Putivl <laughs> has slid gone down the drain <laughs> circling the drain as she is sitting there lamenting her fate she sees off in the distance two horsemen riding toward the city. And thinks to herself, my goodness, one of them looks like my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what? It, it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> so the, there is the big scene of reunion yeah. between Igor and Yaroslavna. And then <laughs> we get Skula and Eroshka back again. They are the deserters from Igor's army that are trying to raise the people against Igor and put Prince Galitsky in his place. And still hard at work at that, basically saying, you know, we're in this mess because of Igor. He's a terrible ruler. He's just awful. He's, he's the worst ever. And oh, Hello, Igor. <laughs> Oops. Oops. <laughs> so what is interesting is that they think on their feet because yeah. <laughs> what they do is they suddenly start running around saying, oh, guess what? It's wonderful news. Prince Igor's, Igor's back. back. <laughs> we're saved. We were the first to recognize him. <laughs> and so... In that, they gain some redemption, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Borodin clearly sees them as these lovable rogues. In kind of the same way in Mussorgsky's Boris Gorunov, uh, you have Varlam and Misail. They play sort of the same kind of role. They're lovable rogues. They're complete reprobates. But, you know, yeah, they're kind of funny. You know, <laughs> you kind of like them, despite yourself. Partly because they're drunk most of the time. Well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the end of the opera. Yeah, a big uh, rejoicing. The big chorus comes back and, you know, ends on a big note. And, uh, you know, once again, it's it's just one of those operas where dramatically it's it's a real challenge for a director, let me tell you. <laughs> it's a real challenge to make this opera hang together. But it's so worthwhile because the music is phenomenal. It's all about the music and the music completely redeems it. Alexander Borodin's Prince Igor. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.